0: Amen. Well, it's good to be in His presence. Wasn't that fun last week? Those of you here that were last week, that was that was so awesome. Uh, if you weren't here, we, uh, we just Paul really. I I don't even think he really ever preached. It, it, <laughs> never really got to preach. He just started sharing a couple of things from the Lord, and then people started getting healed and touched and praying for people, and so that was that was a refreshing and encouragement that we needed. So sometimes you just need to be reminded. Hey, God still God's still working. God still does the supernatural things. God still does miracles. Uh, God still heals His people, and He wants to heal those that are, that we come into contact outside of us. And so that was a, a special time. I think a very timely, uh, timely encouragement from the Lord. So uh, today, I just want to kind of I'm going to bounce off a little bit of what. Uh, Laura kind of spoke to us at our fall conference, Uh, it wasn't this past week, it was the week before, Uh, it was really a challenge, it was called, the the, the theme of the conference was called The Quest, Uh, and really, uh, basically the the quest is the quest of of God, His quest, it wasn't a quest to find Him, it was was the quest that God's on, the quest that the Father has been on uh, since He created the world. And since the fall of man, that there has been a a quest to return his children to how it was meant to be, how he created it to be. And so God's desire, God's mission heart, God's God is a missionary, you know, that God is a is a lover and a missionary and, and, and one who reaches out. He's one who who doesn't just go tell someone and then leave. He's one that goes and lives among us. You know, it says when when Jesus came that the word came and lived among us he didn 't show up and give us a message and then leave, but he showed up and said i'm going i 'm going to dwell with you i 'm going to live with you i 'm not going i 'm going to be a part of you i 'm going to be a part of what you 're in and that 's how he communicated his truth was incarnationally or indwelling and so um, go ahead and open your bibles to matthew fourteen we we'll, 're going to start there today we 're going to use a few scriptures to talk about really kind of the heart of God. But first, just kind of some of the things. Uh, we all know our nation has changed, right? Have, have we noticed that? Have we, have we noticed that our, that our nation has changed? You know, we're still kind of a little bit in a bubble in Midland, but not as much as we used to be. <laughs> Does that sound fair? Does that sound like a fair assessment? You know, when I, when I moved from California to Texas, uh, see, so yeah, I grew up in Southern California. Okay, So in the L.A. area, if some of you didn't know that, uh, I was born there. I briefly moved to Washington State in the Seattle area on Whidbey Island from when I was five to nine. And then I came back to Southern California and, and pretty much grew up in, in that city. And so when I moved to Texas, there was there were several things that were way different. I moved to Austin first, which I know is not really Texas anymore. Um, it's kind of a foreign entity that invaded uh, texas but uh i mean it really just t- is really different um <laughs> very liberal um it's kind of like the wa- when i moved from california to austin i was like this is like the wannabe california you're trying really hard to be like us but it's not cutting it okay that's what i thought so there's a there was a big difference but i was it was it was really strange to me first of all that people waved to you driving down the road I'm serious, you know. When you grow up in the big city, and maybe that's true in the big city in Texas—I don't know—but um, we were on the outskirts, you know, the, the Cedar Park, Leander area of Austin, which is kind of still kind of the smaller area. Well, it's it's gotten bigger now, but then, you know, how many ever years ago that was? 18. It was different, and so we—I'd be driving down the road, and the dude coming at me would wave at me, and that was. You know, when you grow up in California, you you don't see people waving at you. Okay, the only they do wave at you. (laughs) They don't use their whole hand, (laughs) just one finger. Okay, for some reason, I don't know. Uh, So you don't you don't wave at people in California. You know, there's no you know if you see someone walking down the street, you don't go, "Hey, how are you doing?" But you know, sometimes when you're in the in the store in Texas, and when I first moved to Midland, it was definitely more like that, more like a small smaller city feel, smallest city I've ever lived in here, just so you know. Um, this is. I thought this was this, nothing. I thought this was a small town, okay? So, you know, people are friendly. They talk to you. you like, you don't do that in Southern California, you know, because you don't want to get killed or, you know, or whatever. People are just, you know, standoffish. And so that was one of the big differences. The other big difference I noticed when I moved to Texas was that, like, people could... Like, have all kinds of Christian stuff and pray everywhere that was kind of bizarre to me. I mean, really, I'd never seen that before. And for those of you that have grown up here, I need to tell you, you know, we're almost to where California was 25 years ago. You know, when I grew up, I mean, nobody prayed at the football games. Come on now. I mean, that was unheard of. I mean, what was not even thought of? You didn't think you could even do that. Like, never, I never, didn't, I didn't hear about people Opening a Bible at an event, you know, I still, I go to a school here that's a, or Evan goes to a school here that's a charter school, so it's still a public school, but when, when we went to the meeting there, um, the principal said, I'm going to open us in prayer, okay, this is still a public school, they're receiving public funds, and this is a parent meeting, so it wasn't, I don't know if that counts for not an s- official event or whatever, um, but so she opened in prayer, so that was very cool. I guess my principal is a believer. So that's good to know. Um, that's awesome. You know, I never saw that growing up. It didn't matter if they were Christian or not. You didn't do that in California. It was totally secular. And so, you know, all this stuff at football games and stuff, and we're being like, "Oh no, they're taking that away." I'm like, "They took that away way before, a long time ago, in in, in California." So our nation has changed. The the point is 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 we're not we're not a Christian nation anymore. I know a lot of people got offended when President Obama said that. And whether he said it for the right reasons or not, I don't know. I'm not here to judge that. But here's the deal. We're not. We're not. Things have changed. And in order, like we were talking about last week, in order for the church to be effective, we have to quit living like we're in the nation from 30 years ago, and we have to live like we're in the nation now. I was talking with with Greg a little bit about this, and uh, some of it is generational too. When you're talking to someone who's older, you can assume they have a certain amount of, maybe they've heard of the Bible, they've been to church, they've they've had some kind of church experience. You get younger and younger and younger, and even in Midland, (laughs) even in Midland, you'll have people that have no clue all they know about Jesus is that he hates gays and he hates all this other stuff and he's very political. That's that's their view of Jesus. You know, one of my speakers, I'm, I, I'm trying to shock you out of our, your Midland bubble a little bit. I know here it's still a little bit different. I understand that. I live here and I'm still like, go over pl- other places and go, we are still in a bubble a little bit. But, you know, even in Midland only about 15% of people are in our church every Sunday. Now some of them I know have wandered off. I mean, and it's lower in other places, we're pretty good. But think about that. Let's just say that there's another 15% that know the Lord that aren't connected, that are just disconnected, they got hurt, they they're running away from God or whatever's going on. They just they haven't been loved and so they feel rejected there's there's some hurt there's some different reasons that they're not connected to a body so that gets us to thirty percent if we double the total amount of people that are regularly attending church in midland texas that gets us to thirty percent of midland that leaves us seventy percent that have no clue maybe maybe fifty percent that have no clue the younger you get the less Lest the the generations know about who Jesus really is, what the Bible really is, they only know what they see on TV, how the media portrays or how they've had some kind of interaction with an angry Christian. And so when you say, "Hey, you need to come to church or you need to come to Jesus," they're like, "Uh-uh." Like Greg was saying this, like, "Hey, someone over 50? Is that what you said, over 50? Somebody over 50, though, they they, you know, they they're going to be tracking with you a little bit more because they understand what you're saying." And so, in order for us as the people of God to be affected, we have to be aware of the society we're in. You know, we were in a majority Christian society until the last 30 years, and especially the last 10 years, we've really really gotten crazy. And so, we can't live like we're the majority anymore. Because we're not. Jim Cimbala in his book Storm says that evangelicals in the United States, make up maybe 8 to 10% of the population. It's kind of shocking, isn't it? So that's, that's the people we think that we align ourselves with, Bible-believing Christians. That's what an evangelical is, 10%. So we've got to change the way we do things, the way we live in order for things to change. Because people are not, just like I said, going to wander into church. There's still people that wander in, and we want to pray those people in and believe for them. But here's the deal. Most people are going to be touched outside of this gathering. And what that means for me, and for all of us, is I have to change the way I live my life. Change the way I have a view. Uh, Doesn't mean I don't want to invite people to church. Sure, we still want to do that. That's absolutely. Uh, Because this is a... A loving family. We we have the presence of God here. We have we have we have good things going on here. But a lot of people may not get here until they know they're loved. So that's is that. The, are you depressed yet? <laughs> Here's the deal. Um, I'm I'm trying not to make it too too huge here, but. Because things have changed, we need to live, rather than living like we're in an empire model, in other words, when Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, there was an age and a time since then, even in the Western world for a long time, where it was the dominant force in life, in politics, in uh, the way things were, were done. But that's changed in the last 50 years, and especially in the last 20 years or so, greatly in the last 10 years. So now we're, we're more like the early church now. You know, when the, when the early church was founded, it was like the dominant force in the world was the Roman Empire, which was as corrupt and uh, sexually immoral as, we, as the United States is today. Maybe even more so. I mean, you know, we, did, we didn't invent gay marriage and all that stuff. They had all that kind of stuff going on in the Roman Empire. There was all kinds of crazy stuff. Whatever you think is the worst thing, I'm not saying that's the worst sin either. I'm just saying that's, you know, all the stuff, all the stuff you think of, addiction. They had, they had ways to get drugs and alcohol and stuff back then. They, they got themselves all loaded up. All that junk was rampant. And the driving force was the Roman Empire. And that's where God birthed the church. And you know what? A small group of people changed the whole world in a short time. So here's the deal. We have good news. We have good news because God says, "Hey, we have a great opportunity now. We are we are now missionaries. We have a missionary God and God is a missionary God who has a church, who has a people. God has a mission And God's mission has a church. So, in other words, we're a part of God's mission. And for too long, the church has been about come and get something good from God. You know, we've been a dispenser of religious goods and services. That's the Old Testament model. Come into the temple, get what you need from God, and leave. And we can't stay that way. We can't stay that way. It's not going to work. I'm preaching to myself. Look, I went to Bible college, I went to all this stuff, and it was like, here's what you do in church. You have a, you have a great worship team, you have, you have a great this ministry, you have a great that ministry, preach a great sermon, and your church grows. That's how Jack Hafer did it. <laughs> he also prayed a lot, okay? I probably don't pray as much as Jack. But look, all of us pastors who are trying to do that model, it's not working. It doesn't work anymore. People aren't attracted. You know who comes into churches now for that type of stuff? Other Christians. When people visit churches, most of the time, what are they doing? I'm checking. I'm, I'm looking for a church. They're not looking for God. <laughs> They're looking for a church. In other words, I want something that will meet my personal needs. I need, I need a good youth group. I need a good children's ministry. I like good music. I like whatever. I need a good singles group so I can meet someone and get hooked up and get a good marriage. Right? I mean, that's that's the general... Again, I know this is not you. Okay? Not you. Okay? <laughs> if it's a little bit of you, God's messing with you saying, hey, that may not be... <laughs> Some of you that are sweating right now, I'm like, man, turn down the AC. But I mean, really, that's... You know, and we kind of... Look, I'm really just letting it go here. It's just family mostly today. We're just... I'm just sharing my heart. Um, you know, we have to we have to change something. And I'm I'm talking to myself too. I'm I'm locked in like I'm thinking Sunday morning, Sunday morning, Sunday morning, and Jesus right now is saying Monday afternoon, Tuesday morning, Tuesday night, Tuesday Thursday night when you're not at church. <laughs> and it's not about trying to add a bunch of stuff. This that's not what we're trying to do. Is hey, let's make ourselves more busy and try to do one more thing. No, no, we're saying. Uh, we have to change, first of all, our perspective on, on just how people are going to be reached. And so the disciples, I want to use the disciples as an example because we're disciples of Jesus and we sometimes act like the disciples in the Bible, don't we? Have you noticed that? Um, have you found yourself in some of the disciples and you're like, yeah, I, I wish I didn't do that, but I do. So John 14, look, got to remember this. The disciples have already been sent out by Jesus They've, he's laid his hands on them. He's given them authority over sicknesses and disease. They've went out. They've seen miracles. They've seen all kinds of stuff. Uh, they've been, been through quite a few things with Jesus. And here's what happens when they have a big crowd and don't know what to do about the food. We're familiar with this story. I read it at the offering intentionally. Um, John 14, it says, When Jesus heard what had happened... Did I start there? Yes, I did. What had just happened was John the Baptist had died. Okay so that was Jesus Jesus's cousin had been beheaded by Herod. Okay so when Jesus heard what had happened he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So he's getting by himself, you know, taking that time to say I need to I need to get away. Hearing of this, somehow the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the, di- excuse me, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And we know Jesus was like, we ain't having that. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Disciples say, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish and we had to steal it from a little boy. Okay. We got five Subway sandwiches and two bags of Doritos, okay? Bring them here to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves and he gave them to his disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. And we know what happens. They all ate and were satisfied. and The disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men plus... Women and children. So, why do I read that story? It's not for the multiplication. It's not for uh, the disciples. Uh, you know, saying, "Hey, we need to give something to eat." Here's what I think: the disciples, they've seen the power. They 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 walked in the authority of Jesus, but they still didn't get his heart. They still missed his heart. And I believe that what we have to have first, if we're going to reach someone. We've got to have the heart of God. You know, it's not about witnessing to anybody. You know, have have you been through the witnessing things where you need to witness to somebody about Jesus? And so then you're like, oh, shoot. If you're like me, <laughs> some of you are maybe thrilled. The few evangelists in the room are like, oh, yeah! <laughs> maybe a John Poe or something. Oh, Yeah! Okay? But if you're not an evangelist, what do you think? I don't want to talk to nobody. Okay? Right? Especially somebody I don't know. And I need to tell them about Jesus. Okay? Now, if I just do that out of an obligation, just because, you know, let's say the pastor gets up on Sunday and says, You need a witness to somebody this week. If you're going to be a good Christian, you need to be witnessing to people. And you're like, okay, I need to be a good Christian. So I'm going to go witness to somebody. So you go through the week and you're like, oh no. <laughs> Most of us, we forget. We go, like, ah, the sermon. <laughs> right? Sunday sermon. <laughs> Sunday afternoon football. <laughs> it's gone. But for a few of you, you'd be like, I got to do what the pastor said. I, wanna, I don't want to get in trouble with God. And so you try to witness to somebody. And you just do it because you know you have to do it. And what happens? It doesn't go well. Why? Because your heart's not in it. Your heart's not in it. You know, the Jesus, it says, when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion. See, the power of God always goes where the heart of God goes. The heart of God reaches out and the power of God follows. Because that's what moved Jesus to do what he did was why did, why did God send Jesus? For God so loved the world. The heart of God moved God to act out of his power and strength. And so, I'm certainly not any better than God. I've got to start first with the heart. I've got to catch his heart. I've got to, I've got to have a baptism of compassion. Because you know what? Sometimes I don't have his heart. I'm just like you. I'm not, I'm not really any holier than any of you. Probably less than some of you. You know, I, I need the heart of God. Because if I just go, okay, we're going to do this. You know what I'm talking about? I go to a conference and they say, we're going to be missional. We're going to reach people. This is the quest of God. I come back and go, I'm going to do that just because I'm going to do that. But if I don't have the heart of God, it's not going to last. Because if, you're, if your heart's in something, you're going to go after it. And so if my heart's not in it, I need to first start with my heart. I need, don't need to start out there. I need to start here. What happens the next time that Jesus has a crowd and he needs food? Well, flip over to Matthew 15. The disciples are just like us. They still didn't get it. Matthew 15, verse 29. It's on the next page for me. It might be just one page over. It says Jesus left uh, the, the, the area he was in and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. And look at what happens. Jesus called his disciples to him. Again, I don't know how far, how many days, weeks, or months this was after the feeding of the 5,000, but... Several of the Gospels show that this happened twice, not once. And what does Jesus say? He says, I have compassion for these people. My heart is moved. My heart's moved for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry. They may collapse on the way. (laughs) And His disciples, look at this, aren't they like us? Where can we get enough bread in this remote pay- place to feed the crowd? How are we going to do that, God? I mean, I believe, first of all, it's, it's interesting. Both times it says Jesus was moved with compassion. So there there's something about if you had the heart of God, you'd see the, you'd see the okay, I've got the heart of God for this people. And so God's going to do something. You know, if you catch God's heart, you know God's heart for someone, you'll know that he wants to do something for them so you can pray with faith. So you can believe, hey, I know God wants to touch you right now because I got his heart for you. His disciples said, we don't have any food. What are we going to (laughs) do? How many loaves do you have? Jesus is like giving them a hint. Can you get it? Like, hey, you got any bread? Remember? How many loaves do you have? (laughs) And they're like, "Uh, well, we got seven and a few small fish. And you think one of the disciples would go, oh, yeah. <laughs> they didn't do it. I don't know. Am I this dumb God? I don't know. <laughs> Probably so, huh? He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them, gave them to the disciples, and gave them to all the people. So, uh, and they picked up basketfuls left over. They had more bread this time, picked up less less baskets left over. Less is more with God, I guess. So... <clears throat> But it was all, all this, I noticed, was moved by the heart of God. And you know what? We're not gonna go, I'm not going to go anywhere at being missional or reaching people if I don't catch God's heart. And so I've got to start there. And so I'm just encouraging us as a church to make sure we're connected to His heart. Let Him touch, touch our hearts. Let Him soften our hearts. Let Him, uh, let him move in our hearts. Because there's, there's a harvest every day. There's a daily harvest a blessing in our lives that God wants to bless us with and and probably somebody he wants us to bless doesn't mean we need a witness to him Okay, I'm gonna remove witnessing from our vocabulary just do what God's heart is moving you to do because if I have God's heart like Jesus then I'm gonna operate in what God's doing Jesus said the father's always at work I mean basically Jesus just showed up and said, God's already doing stuff if we would just jump in and he was he was seeing what the Father was doing. He had the Father's heart of love. And then he said, let's do this. And so we've got to do the same thing. I can't be better than Jesus. I need to catch the Father's heart. I need to have an awareness of the Holy Spirit speaking to my life so that I know what he's doing. There's a daily harvest. You know, I have a pecan tree uh, in my backyard. And I, I think I've, we probably talked to several people. Last year, the squirrels just... Like, they ravaged the pecan tree. I mean, they just... Those things can eat, you know? Um, You know, and I didn't have a a BB... I only have a shotgun, so I didn't want to use that on it. Um, That wouldn't be good for the neighbors, right? (laughs) Um, I grew up in California. They didn't want guns around, so remember that, okay? (laughs) So that's another difference between Texas and California. Um, (laughs) Big difference. Um, So... You know, we had the squirrels, and so this year we're like, man, we need to get, we need to get a pellet gun or something, we're going to shoot these, okay, is there anybody that's involved in PETA here? <laughs> Just close your ears, okay? This is a Texas church, right? Okay? They so were like, well, I need to get a BB gun. You know, so I, honestly, I haven't got a BB gun, and so the other day, uh, Evan and Kai were outside, I think it was last Saturday, and Ashley was at some women's deal, and, uh... And so they were outside and they came in and they brought in all these pecans. And they're like the way they're supposed to look, you know, like the things have broken off. I don't really know anything about pecans, but, um, <laughs> you know, they're they're brownish, you know, and like the outer shell has broken off. Because before, you know, we I mostly found, you know, like a, the squirrel chews it up and like there's just the outer shell left and we're like, we just have all this stuff to clean up. And no... No fruit. No, no nuts to show for it. But so they brought in some some pecans this time. There's like a handful, about eight or ten of them, Evan and Kai, the, you know, and they're like, Daddy, we we we've been harvest we harvested the pecans. It was so awesome. I mean, don't you love the language? Like we we brought in we're we're harvesting the pecan. And so yesterday we did the same thing. You know what? We came outside, man, we got a we gotta a whole we didn't even shoot the squirrels we not maybe we just pray, it scared them i was thinking about a gun and they're like we're out of here i don't know <laughs> maybe there's just more pecans cuz we had more rain this year and they're already like full like i can't eat more pecans can, you know and so the, the other ones dropped now i don't know thank you jesus so but you know what what we, what we have to do is we're going to have to go out every day and probably pick up a few of them or you know the squirrels eventually'll get to them they'll call you know cousin joe and all that and say Get over here, buddy. This is this is hot, and they're gonna get there. So there's a there's a daily harvest. We're gonna have to go out every day or every two days, and there's gonna be a harvest of pecans in our in our backyard. Isn't that awesome, Ronnie? We got some, and now we got to figure out what to do with them to break them out of the shells or whatever. But um, hopefully they'll taste good. Um, but here's the deal. I have, there's a daily harvest for us. Jesus said, "Hey, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few." Ask the Lord of the harvest for laborers for his harvest field. You know, pray. And so, you know, that's my, That's pretty much... Here's here's what I was thinking about the heart of God. Just, just four things. About God's love for us. And so, in other words, when I'm dealing with people, these are just four practical things I've thought of. God's love and the heart of God doesn't change with behavior. You know, it doesn't matter how I behave... His love isn't affected by my behavior, so when we're out loving people wherever they are, their behavior doesn't matter. I mean we want it to change we want them to be discipled and look like Jesus just like all of us do, but it doesn't affect the love so my love can that's conditional love uncondition this is unconditional love agape love so it's it's not it's not affected by behavior that's tough I mean we can do it well with our kids right with our family because we're like no matter what, I love you. I don 't like the way you're acting right now. I don't like what you're doing. I don't like that you're talking to me in that tone of voice um, and you're you're only a young person. <laughs> How did you learn to do that? <laughs> but that doesn't ever change my love. But with other people, your behavior sometimes affects my love. <laughs> I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about you in general, not you. But so RB, I mean, so I have to love people in spite of their behavior. Behavior can can mean nothing to how I love them. Number two, personal circumstance. What I mean by this is when Jesus, when Jesus came to the feeding of the five thousand, he gives us a great example. Man, he was in personal mourning. His life was in a in, in a rough place. Because I think Jesus was dealing with the fact, hey, they killed John the Baptist. This was his cousin, somebody he loved. This is all, he was the forerunner to Jesus. I mean, he's a very important figure in the plan of God and everything. And, so, and also the fact that he was killed, I think, was a reality of Jesus like, I know that's coming for me. you know Jesus had, in his humanity, had to deal with the fact, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to face death, and it's going to be pretty bad. And so i don 't know if I, i'm just i'm just making a conjecture i don 't know maybe Jesus just needed to deal with that a little bit, but he he goes away he 's in mourning he 's not in the best place. but when he comes to the crowd, what happens? The heart of God just comes out of him, so it doesn't matter my personal circumstance. the heart of God is greater than my personal circumstance because it 's his love. What does romans five five say? It says you know that God has poured the love of God in our poured his love out in our hearts by the holy spirit so it's a supernatural thing anyway so that means it does it's not affected by my personal circumstance number three the heart of god and love of god doesn't change with its reception it doesn't matter if that person receives it or not god's love stays the same you know it's just there it's available and it's searching and he's on a quest to reach them. He will try a different way. He'll try to get around the barriers. He's gonna keep coming at you. God's love is relentless. And so I have to say, like, I don't the reception doesn't matter. I'm I'm the delivery man, I'm the delivery woman. I get to deliver the love of God. And number four, we can't think about the last person. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh the last time I tried something, when I tried to love somebody, when I tried to help somebody, when I tried to whatever for somebody pray for somebody, bless somebody, um the last time that happened, they really just they got upset at me or it didn't go well but i I can't let the last person determine what God wants to do with the person in front of me, so those are just like four random thoughts from Pastor John. You know, but don't let behavior, don't let my life get in the way. Don't let if they're going to receive it, and don't let the last time whatever happened last time. Let's let the last time be the last time. His mercies are new every morning for us, and so let's let His mercies be new every morning for this person in front of me. I don't want to hold them in account for the unmercifulness of somebody else. His mercy is new every morning for that person in front of me, and. How do we get the heart of God? It's real practical here. You spend time with God. That's it. You pray. If you pray for someone, you'll get the heart of God. If there's somebody that you're really, you really don't love, you, you just have to start praying for them. I'm, I'm sorry, I wish I had some kind of magic formula. I could just wave over your head. You know, let's just pray right now. And you, it, God wants us to sometimes, we connect with His heart, and then we get His heart. It's supernatural. Look, I don't have it all the time. <laughs> I, I need a supernatural connection. And here's the other thing I thought of was this. We have to be able to place ourselves in situations where we need his heart. You know, if, if we're in the safety of, of life where I don't need God, <laughs> there's sometimes where I'm like, God, I need your heart in this. I I need to know what you're thinking. I need to know what you're feeling. I need to know what your desires are. And if you're put in that place, you'll seek His heart. If we go through life and it's real nice and easy, maybe it's never that way for you. So you're like, I'm always in that place. Great. God's got you in a great place where you're always getting in the heart of God. So we've got to have His heart. Put, Put yourself in a place where you can be desperate enough to have His heart. And you know what? I think it starts here. And Look, we're we're a great loving church, but I think God says, "Hey, there's more." Not not for us to do more. God's not saying, "Hey, I want you to do more stuff." No, it's it's God says, "I want to pour more into you, so you can share it, and you're going to share it in life. You're not going to have to go start a new thing to share it. It's going to happen in your life. That's how that's the way Jesus did it, and that's really kind of what the conference was about. I went to it was like, "Hey, look, don't start another program. Look." Learn to live your life and be intentional and love people and then see them touched by God and see what happens. Person by person, things can change. That's what happened in the New Testament church. They, they did have the miracles and we want to contend for those. We were reminded that of last, last week with Paul here. Hey, we want to see the miracles, we want to see the healing because that's God's desire too. That's out of God's heart. Because God's heart is wholeness. God's heart is healing. God's heart is forgiveness. God's heart is breaking chains off people's lives. That's his heart. God's heart is reconciliation, restoration. That's his heart. And so if that's his heart, I just need to tap into that so I'm a part of what he's doing in whoever God brings in front of my path, whoever God has put in my life. Who's God put in my my neighborhood? Who's God put me next that I get to work next to? (laughs) or have to work next to, or have to work in the same office with, the same place with, or the same place outside in the field with. So, here's what I want us to do. I want us to close. We've got plenty of time again. I want us to close and just kind of pray together again. You know, I want us to build some, continue to build some community. And so...